0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, life is a gift, and when you say thank you, you befriend the giver. First time I used one of these ride-sharing apps, I was down in San Diego for a conference. I made my way through the airport out to the curb and pulled out my phone, launched the app, and it hung up on uh, startup. And so I had to reset my phone. I was futzing around with it when I heard someone say, George? And uh, I kind of ignored it. I thought, what's that? And And then someone said, again, George? And I looked over, and there was a car that was rolling up to the curb, and there was a guy who was leaning through the passenger window, calling out to me. He said, You George? I said, Yeah. He said, You looking for your Uber? I said, Yeah. He said, I'm your guy, get in, let's go. And so I threw my bag and the trunk and got in the back of the car and off we went. Um, and I thought to myself, this is amazing. I have no idea how this works. I mean, I hadn't even gotten the app going. And I thought, did my assistant time this so perfectly? Did, did he know when I would arrive? The technology completely amazes me. And I'm sitting in this seat going for This is a wonderful world that I live in. But the first uh, indication that I and this driver were going to have a problem was uh, when he asked me about the destination. His name is Dennis, by the way. And Dennis says, so... Uh, You're going downtown, right? And I said, no, I'm going to La Jolla. He said, that's weird. All right, well, what's the address? Give me the address. And he's swerving all over the freeway trying to type the address into his phone. So I go, do you mind if I type that in for you Uh, and put that in? then the next indication that Dennis and I were going to have a problem was uh, when that phone rang. It rang, and uh, he answered it, and he said, George? George who? And uh, he looked over the seat and it's wrong, George? Oh, my gosh. Picked up the wrong George. <laughs> and uh, so <clears throat> this is a problem because if you use Uber, you know that if you don't request the car, then Uber doesn't know the transaction exists, which means Dennis is not going to get paid. And I said, oh, let me pay you in cash. And he said, "Now." Can't take cash. And said, well, let's pull over the next freeway and I'll request Uber and you can be the guy that shows up, right? And then you can drive me from there. He said, no, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. And he said, ah, shoot, you know. And I'll tell you what, I'll just take you there for free. And I said, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But he did. And uh, I felt really bad about this. I, felt, I actually felt horrible about it. And I'll tell you, for three reasons. The first reason, it was totally my fault. The second reason is um, this was the middle of the afternoon, and uh, La Jolla is not that close to the airport in San Diego, so I was t- I was blowing out his afternoon's worth of work. The third reason was Dennis had an obvious disability, and as we drove along, he told me a little bit of his story, and I could see how hard he was working to make ends meet, just to survive, to provide for himself, to provide for his family. And so I thought, oh man. I don't really want to mooch off this guy whose life is so hard as it is. Well, uh, when we got to where I was going, I, I refused to get out of the car. I made him sit at the curb, and I said, Dennis, I want you to call Uber on your phone and explain this situation to him. Meanwhile, I'm navigating through uh, my phone to customer service to try to open a claim, see if I could get this guy paid, which only made things worse, because we spent 20 more minutes of Dennis's time sitting at the curb, and we could get nothing. Uh, from Uber. And so at the end, I said, Dennis, I'm just really, really sorry. Uh, what can I do? And at that, he turned around over the seat, looked at me with oxygen tubes coming out of his nostrils, and he said, Well, George, you could say thank you. And I said, Dennis, thank you. Perhaps the two most powerful words in any language, thank you. So the next six weeks, we're going to explore the meaning of gratitude. How important it is for us who are called to be alive in Christ to really understand gratitude, the meaning. But not just the meaning. We're going to engage in the practice of gratitude. I can't think of anything more important than learning how to say thank you in a way that's meaningful, given our mission is to share hope in Jesus Christ. And this practice is so simple. You're already doing it, right? So there's no excuse, oh, I don't know, that's too hard. I'm not sure if I can really do that, George. No, that's not going to work. And it's so profound, as you'll see as we engage our text today, you'll see that it expresses the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. So, gratitude is what we're called to to experience on a daily basis. Already, J.J. has alluded to the Bible, which tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. G.K. Chesterton wrote that thanks are the highest form of thought, and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. How would you like your happiness doubled by wonder? Well, we're going to explore that. Let's jump in today with a character we meet in the Gospel of Luke. This is a man who receives an unexpected gift and who befriends the giver simply by saying thank you. Let's pull out our Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. If you didn't bring your Bible, grab the black book in the rack in front of you and turn to page 852. And there you'll find this paragraph... Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. And if you're able, would you stand with me as an act of reverence and gratitude to our Savior, Jesus Christ? Let's read aloud together, and when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading his holy word. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. As Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. The first thing I learned from my new friend, Dennis, is that it gave me pleasure to say thank you. I actually wanted to say thank you. Oftentimes we think thank you is a, a duty, but it, it's, it was a pleasure. I mean, I can't imagine, after receiving such generosity from Dennis, just getting out of the car and going on my way without saying thank you. And you know, Hey, Dennis, you got my bags? And then walk away, right? It's inconceivable. And uh, yet here, I think, in this passage, a lot of people think that this That Jesus is implying with this question, where are the other nine guys? That they had some kind of duty and obligation to say thank you. And I want to first just immediately disabuse you of this thought. This guy doesn't come out of a sense of duty. Even though, yes, Jesus does ask the question, where are the other nine And I know that Sunday school teachers love that question, and parents love that question, and Barney loves that question, because we all think that we should say thank you and please. They're the magic words. But this passage is not about manners. This passage is not about good breeding or good parenting. It's not about Emily Post. Jesus is a herald of good news. He's not an advice columnist. He doesn't tell any of these lepers to say thank you. He doesn't imply that the readers ought to, out of some sense of duty, give thanks to people around them. No, this guy does it because he wants to do it. And I would suggest to you, he does it not out of obedience to Jesus, but nearly out of defiance to Jesus. Because remember, these are lepers. They're instructed by this social convention that they're supposed to stay uh, uh, removed from people. It's highly contagious, leprosy. And so they're at a distance shouting to Jesus, asking for mercy. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. He says, go away, go to the priest. And at, somewhere between Jesus and the priest, they're healed. The reason the priest is the priest could certify that they were now cleansed and able to reenter the community. So Jesus' command, and their duty, therefore, is to go away, go to the priest. And somewhere along the way, this one guy, one of the ten, looks at his body and goes, Oh my gosh, I'm healed. He cries out with amazement and delight. And he goes hunting for Jesus, hoping, hoping he could find him. With all the tears in his eyes, throw himself at at Jesus' feet and say, Thank you. No, he does this for pleasure. And just as it gave me pleasure to say, Thank you to Dennis. It's not about manners. Luke proves that to us by sharing one bit of information that he very cleverly, skillfully withholds from the reader till the climax of the story. Verse 16, this one Samaritan thanks Jesus. And then Luke says, and he was a Samaritan. Which is the moment in the story where all of Luke's Jewish readers will go, (gasps) God. No, not the Samaritans, because there's this, this ethnic tension uh, at that time. And one of the things that the Jews knew, uh, they knew, is that the Samaritans didn't have any manners at all. They had sold themselves out, uh, they had sold God out, they had sold the Israelites out. And from a Jewish perspective, the Samaritans had no sense of duty whatsoever whatsoever. So this is the great surprise. If we were to tell this story to Donald Trump, we would tell the story, one of them turned back, and then we'd say, and Donald, one of them was a Muslim, and it would just explode his mind. He'd go like, no, that's not possible that the Muslim said thank you. If we were to tell the story to Bernie Sanders, we'd say the one guy that came back was a hedge fund manager, and Bernie's head was like, oh my gosh, no way. If we were to tell this story in Pullman, Washington, we'd say there were nine cougars who turned away, but the one who came back and said thank you was a husky, and they'd all go, oh my gosh, a husky with manners, it's just not possible, who could expect that Take it away, take it away. But that's what Jesus says. He was a Samaritan, Luke wants us to know. So, no, this is not about duty or obligation. Uh, This is about just a surprising, delightful outcome. This is happiness doubled by wonder. He does it for pleasure. Now, science is showing us today just how much pleasure there is in gratitude. Emerging field now in gratitude studies. In the last century, Hans Selye got this started. Hans Selye, by the way, is the guy who first used the word stress out of the context of physics and in the context of our emotional life. And he discovered that gratitude is the thing that reduces stress in our lives. Physical and emotional stress. This is so interesting. He said it was not success... It's not pleasure, not even love. I hate to tell you this on Valentine's Day. No, it's gratitude that reduces stress. Uh, just over a month ago, the Wall Street Journal reported on a bunch of studies. They said that healthcare workers who cataloged why they were grateful experienced a 28% reduction in stress. Writing about gratitude, they also found, cuts the risk of depression in a per- person's life in half. Just writing about gratitude. And then thirdly, they found that suicidal patients who write a single thank you letter cut their sense of hopelessness by 90%. Isn't that interesting ratio? Nine out of ten. That's huge. In a joint project out of Berkeley and UC Davis, scientists are finding that people who practice gratitude have stronger immune systems, lower blood pressure, better sleep, greater sense of self-worth, more joy, optimism, and happiness... They act with more generosity and compassion and they feel less lonely and isolated pleasure. When we say thank you, we do it for pleasure. That's the first thing I learned in that conversation with Dennis. The second thing I noticed is this. Saying thank you made me a friend. There was a relationship that came out of this. I know Dennis's name. I remember. I I don't know if he remembers my name. uh, But I remember him very well. In fact, we exchanged cell phone numbers. And I don't give my cell phone number out to anybody. I mean, my mom has my cell phone number. And since it's Valentine's Day, I'm thinking about sharing it with my wife, um, (laughs) Ann. What made friends? What, what, What made friends between me and Dennis in that Uber car ride? What was it? In a word, it was grace. It was grace. It was the experience of grace. I'm to tell you, I was extremely uncomfortable when he offered to give me that free ride. It just, it just really felt very, very awkward. I did not want to receive this gift from this man that I didn't even know. Why? Why? Because I could see the pain in his life and the struggle it was just to get through a day with his disability and how hard he was working. And, I, you know, I wanted to be the helper for him. I wanted to be able to help him. I, I did not at all want to be helped by him. You see, it forced me to, into a place of humility that I was not ready to accept. And many of us, we want to impress people. We want to be seen as strong. We want to be the helpers. We don't want to be those who are helped. And here's the thing that research is showing us about saying thank you, it always implies a power differential. Anytime you say thank you, it implies a power differential. There was a need that somebody else met in your life. You either chose not to meet it or you couldn't meet it, which was the case in, in my situation. I didn't have anything I could do except receive this grace, and it was very, very uncomfortable for me. Grace is getting what you don't expect. It's getting what you don't deserve, and in my case, it's oftentimes getting what you don't even want but there it is, a gift that's needed, and a giver who freely chooses to give. This is what thank you is all about. Check the context. If you want to make sure I'm reading this right, look up at verse 9. You'll see Jesus says, do you thank the slave for doing what is commanded? Totally different section and story. But I just want you to see there, he's saying, you know, when someone does what's expected, you don't say thank you. It's just what, its just their job. And so now he's, there's a story where we're seeing just the opposite, where someone receives grace. They do the absolute unexpected thing and saying thank you because they've received an unexpected expected gift that's grace now thank you is the language of grace it's the vocabulary of grace have you ever noticed how similar the English words are grace and gratitude grace and gratitude can you hear the similarity if we fold our hands and bow our heads around the dinner table and we're going to give thanks for the meal what do we say let's say grace absolutely think about different languages how do we say thank you in Spanish Gracias. Can you hear this? How do we say it in Italian? Grazie. How do we say it in French? Merci. Hear mercy in there? So when Paul says uh, in the New Testament, every place where the Apostle Paul says, thanks be to God. Do you know what that word he's using is? It's grace. It's the Greek word for grace, which is a charis. Karis is the Greek word. And so he's just saying grace to God. The Greek word for grace is the same word as the Greek word for thank you in the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? He's saying grace to God. And in here in verse 16, when this... Uh, happy leper comes back to uh, say thank you to Jesus. You know what the word he, here that Luke uses? It's Eucharisto. It's the word you, which means uh, good, and charis, which means grace. He's really just saying at the feet of Jesus, good grace, good grace, good grace. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Good grace. By the way, when we enjoyed the Lord's tu- Supper here, uh, we call it the Eucharist. It just means thank you. It just means grace that's what happens at that table it's the language of grace and when we experience grace it forms a bond of friendship one uh, scholar at university of miami named mike mccullough writes this more than any other emotion gratitude is the emotion of friendship it's a part of a psychological system that causes people to raise their estimates of how much value they hold in the eyes of another person get this Gratitude is what happens when someone does something that causes you to realize you matter more to that person than you thought you did. You matter more to that person than you thought. It's relational. Well, uh, as Janie said this Lent, uh, this week actually... We're going to encourage one another to say thank you to five friends in our lives. And uh, so I thought I would uh, get ahead of you just a little bit and try this. So this week, actually, on Tuesday, I had a bad day. I was in a little bit of a funk. My work didn't go the way I wanted. And so I thought at the end of the day, well, you know, I'll just get something accomplished. I'll thank a friend. So I pick up the phone and I call a longtime friend named Walt. He lives down in California. And Walt's been a friend and a mentor to me, almost a father in the faith now. But I was nervous because the last 3 times I tried to get a hold of Walt, uh I just left a message and no no one answered the phone and he's old and he's actually not doing well at all and I, to be honest with you I thought it's possible that his wife will answer the phone and she'll say George he passed away a week ago. I just was I was afraid of that. But that's not what happened. Uh, she picked up the phone. She was bright and cheery. And she said, hey, Walt can talk to you today, George. So I said, oh, God, put him on. So I just said, Walt, I just want you to know how much you mean to me. You have no idea. So over the years, you have picked me out of so many ditches. You prayed for me. You've encouraged me. You've taught me. I can't even imagine myself today without the relationship that we've had for one another. And we laughed together. And it was a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And then Walt said to me this. He said, George, you know, I'm I'm going to be in heaven soon. And he said, I think when we get to heaven, we are going to say thank you for things that we didn't even know were good in this life. And I thought, wow. And that, that's the grace breaking through. There was just a, it was just a surprise. All of a sudden, we're in the midst of, of God's grace in a beautiful way. And that will happen to you, too, when you start to say thank you uh, with meaning uh, this Lent. I believe that. Now, you see, the other nine, they're not ready for this. And I'm not really sure why, but this is my theory. Do you know that in in ancient Israel, when you were a leper, you had to call out leper, leper, wherever you went? This is kind of a self-quarantine system. You had to say leper, leper. Now, when you say thank you, It's almost like saying that because you have to say to someone, you have to admit implicitly, I once was a leper, and through an act of grace, through no agency of my own, I am now healed, and so I say thank you. And i just got to believe they weren't quite ready to admit that and to say thank you. On the other hand, here's a person who expected nothing from a Jewish healer, and is just so surprised and delighted. He recognizes grace. He receives grace, and it thrusts him into relationship with Jesus. At the end of the day, all ten are healed, all ten receive grace, but only one, only one will know the source of grace for all future days in his life. They all get a solution to that problem, but only one gets a savior for all future problems. See what thank you does, it, it, it creates a bond of friendship. Well, the third thing I noticed in that car ride is that in my thank you, I befriended God I befriended God. Let me explain that. My experience of Dennis and his generosity reminded me of God's care. I didn't plan this, but when I got out of the car, I just said a prayer. I just said, God, thank you for that. This is just an unexpected highlight to my day. I mean, first of all, I had $50 in my pocket that I hadn't expected to have at that point of the day. But more importantly, I'm just stunned by this guy's generosity and the beauty of it. And it just reminded me of how generous God is, that he will do this sort of thing in our lives. And I just wanted to worship him. And same thing happens for this leper. Do you notice that? He doesn't, as Luke tells the story, he doesn't just come back and say thank you to Jesus. He comes back praising God. He throws himself on the floor, which is a posture of worship at the feet of Jesus. Now, I don't think he probably knows that Jesus is the Son of God. He knows he's special. But I doubt he has a developed Christology like you and I have on this side of the resurrection. As far as he knows, he's just the man. But he doesn't just thank the man. He praises God. And this will happen uh, when we say thank you as well. For Luke, I think this man, this one leper healed, the tenth man, is a model Christian. Why do I say that? Well, the language shifts as Luke tells the story. It gets progressively more profound. And verse 14 uh, we read that he was or they were made clean that's ceremonial language it means you can enter the community and worship again in verse 15 though there's progression here we're told they were healed that's medical language physiological change now in their biology but the climax comes in verse 19 where we read jesus says to the man get up and go on your way your faith has made you well Now that last word, made well, is the Greek word sozo for salvation. And it can mean healed, but there's an implication here that he's been saved. And Luke's readers would go, wow, he's been saved. And immediately they would read their own experience into this man's life. He's a model then of the Christian life. So in what sense is that true? How does he model for us what a Christian is fundamentally? Well, you and I are Christian when we realize that we have been saved. Because we, we we have received from God grace. We cannot do anything for God. But God has done everything in Jesus Christ for us. This is the point at which you become a Christian. When you realize that there's nothing you can do for God except receive what he has done for us and the grace of Jesus and simply say thank you. And so Tim Keller writes, uh, the universal religion of humankind is we develop a good record out of our own works and give it to God, and then he owes us. But the gospel is just the opposite. God develops a good record and gives it to us, and then we owe him. We owe him everything. But we can't give him anything. And so we simply say, grace, grace, grace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we see in the story grace moves to pleasure in his life, moves him to say the words thank you that leads him to worship, creates a bond of friendship with the giver, and he goes through life now knowing he doesn't just have a solution, but he has a savior. When I was in Carmel this summer, as I oftentimes do, I was working down there and I was in someone's house. I had a a laptop up on a little porch, and in the yard behind me I could hear a little girl uh, playing. And she's a very sweet voice. I could hear her laughing. At one point, I heard her mother's voice through the kitchen screen door and she said, honey, I have some fruit roll for you. And she ran over there. I heard the door open, close, and there was a pause during which I assumed the fruit roll was being consumed. And I heard her say, mommy, I love it. And then without missing a beat, she said, I love you. Mommy, I love it. Became immediately, I love you. You see, the gift led her to love the giver. And I think that's what God wants for us. I want to give you my richest, greatest, best in Jesus Christ. Because I want you to know how much I love you. And when we experience that, we respond in love back to him. I remember at the end of that day, I was done with my work. And that night, I walked out alone uh, along the beach. And there happened to be a, a electrical storm. It wasn't raining, but somewhere over Th- Salinas, there was thunder and lightning. I could hear these booms, and I could see uh, the um, the waves were lit up. I could see their curls and the foam, and it was just spectacularly beautiful. With every flash, I could see campfires on the beach, it illuminated people laughing and playing, and I just couldn't help myself. I just said, "God, I love you. I love you." And the beauty of that moment it was just gratitude welling up inside of me. Life is a gift. When we say thank you, we befriend the giver. We're going to invite each other to do this a lot, this Lent. Um, We're going to challenge each other. We're going to help each other in our small groups. Um, Last year, one of our members, uh, Carol, she said, you know, for 40 days of of Lent, I just decided each day I'm going to thank somebody, for 40 40 friends of mine. So she'd write a letter or pay a visit or make a phone call. She goes, we just laughed and we cried. It was the most meaningful thing that one can do. And So I want to encourage you, this week you've got five friends I I want to invite you to say thank you to. And if at any point you get weak need your motivation flags in your mind's eye in your imagination, I'd like to th- invite you to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus, just like this tenth man. They were all at the beginning far away, but here at the end, he's come, he's dared to come to the feet of Jesus. And these feet, I want you to think about them. These feet are the feet that are on their way to Jerusalem. That's what how Luke begins the story. And it's part of this long travel narrative that starts in chapter 9. Where Luke tells us Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem. He's on a long march to the cross. And so are we. As we go through Lent, we're approaching the cross of Jesus Christ in Good Friday. And so I want you to think about the, the amazing price that God paid in order to love you. Remember the words we heard earlier. You matter more to this person than you thought you did. These feet will soon be pierced by Roman nails because he loves you. I want to invite you to feel the great pleasure of that and indulge yourself in happiness doubled by wonder. Let me close by reading the words of a hymn we sang on uh, Ash Wednesday. It's called, O Sacred Head Now Wounded, one of my favorite hymns. And if you like, you might bow your head or close your eyes and make these words your own as you throw yourself upon the grace of your Savior. What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior, tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor, vouchsafe to me thy grace. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end? Oh, make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love for thee. Oh, gracious Lord, we gather tonight, in fact, you gather us tonight to hear this message of good news. We lepers, every one of us, throw ourselves on your mercy and have received more than we can ask or imagine. Would you humble us tonight and allow us to do the improbable, that is, to receive your abundant grace with open hearts? Allow you to do for us what we truly cannot do for ourselves, that we too might know we are saved. Thanks be to God. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org/slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call two zero six five two four seven three zero one, extension one one seven.